Welcome to Hired. I'm John Walker. Over the past three episodes, we've explored how professional relationships are essential for getting buy-in, rallying support for your latest ambitious marketing plan, and even for job security. At the intersection of B2B and SaaS is a tight community of marketers, meaning one day that person you've hired may hire you. So as we conclude our mini-series, we're discussing that critical topic, recruiting and retaining talent. You're listening to Hired, a B2B marketing brief mini-series that explores what it's like to be a new CMO at a SaaS company. Each episode tackles a subject inspired by the unique challenges and goals of B2B marketing teams. I'm your co-host, Samantha Spoto. Hi, John Walker. Samantha, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well. It's good to be with you again. Yes, and we're here for a very exciting episode. It's the last episode of Hired, our mini-series, and it's a great topic to be talking about. Yeah, recruitment and retaining your team. Man, critical topic today. Yeah, so can we just jump in and, and talk a little bit about why recruiting and retaining your marketing team is so important and crucial? Sure. Yeah. I mean, your team is everything. Your team is, uh, it's the group of people you're going to be spending uh, probably as much time with as you do with your family, maybe more. And it's also the the group of people that are going to get you where you're going. The right team is absolutely critical to making your marketing programs work. Yeah. And I know that in the past you've had experience doing recruiting, and really working hard to keep that team in place. Can you just talk us through the process of that a little bit? Sure. I mean, recruiting is is maybe the hardest and most important work you do in some ways. It's the work that you're doing that's going to lay the groundwork for building the right team and and, uh, having a group of people that's going to make your plans uh, work. So, I mean, recruiting creates the ultimate opportunity. It's the chance to really change the game with adding talent, adding personality, making your team work better. But there's also a risk there. You know, can you get the right person? Do you have the budget for the right person? Is the person going to sync with the rest of the team? It's high stakes, but it's high opportunity. I'm sure that it's a lesson in patience, right? Well, hopefully you don't have to be too patient uh, and you can get the right person you need in a, in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah, and I know that in today's episode, you have a great conversation with our guests. So can you tell us who we're talking to today? Yeah, we're talking with Jeff Ignashak, who is a seasoned CMO. Jeff has experience recruiting teams, building teams, and he's got some really interesting perspective on how you make a team work once you have all the folks in place. So he is a great guest with uh, interesting information to share. Great. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. So we're exploring the topic of recruiting and retaining a marketing team. Jeff, how important is it to have the right team? Well, having the right team is everything because when you come into an organization, you only you have a limited window of opportunity to make an impact. 
And you have to go in and assess the business needs and make sure that you build the team so that it's directly aligned with where the organization is going. So take us back to a time when you were a new CMO. Tell us about the company, what were its marketing goals, and describe the team you inherited. Sure. About 10 years ago, I was brought in as the head of marketing for a division of a holding company, if you will, uh, that had uh, four different components to its portfolio. And the one I was brought in to lead the marketing function for was focused in the corporate investigations and compliance space. So I inherited a team in that role uh, that was globally dispersed and was reporting into the regional heads of the business. So what was really required in that role was to quickly get my arms around the various individuals that I was inheriting and insert myself into the relationships that they had ongoing with their regional business heads. Great. Okay. So I'm already hearing some challenges. Globally diverse team, you know, increasingly common in our world, but certainly a challenge. So tell us a little bit about the mood when you arrived. Sure. Some people really welcomed it. The, the change that was going on in the organization because I was brought in to, to help provide more core services across the organization, but also to help drive a more strategic vision about where marketing could, could take the organization. So on the one hand, there were certain people who really embraced it. There were other people who were very suspect mm. because they were very comfortable with their existing reporting relationship with their regional head. And they really didn't want anybody inserting themselves into the mix. On the other hand, this other group looked at, at my coming on board and some of the things that we talked about doing as a way for them to grow in their own careers because all of a sudden they had support for some of the things that maybe they weren't really good at doing, but because they were a, a marketing department of one in, let's say, Singapore or Hong Kong, they now had the, they now had a, a support network that I was putting together. Got it. Okay. So where was your head in terms of the idea of building a team, growing a team, and and the issue of retention that comes with management? Well, the first thing was to to come in and really assess the talent that was in place, right? Because as I mentioned, you know, there there were there were a couple of different camps, but you come in assess not only the talent that's in place, but then also have to do some diligence on what the business leaders are really looking for mm. in their various regions. And that organization, everything was pretty much driven by the, the local heads of the organization. Very geographically unique kinds of opportunities and, and offerings. So what I had to do was take a look at both sides of that equation, right? And make sure that this this other, I'll call it support layer or marketing infrastructure that I intuitively knew needed to be built was going to support both sides of, of the house, the, the business leadership as well as the marketing team. So Jeff, as you're assessing this global team, how do you assess fit with what you're trying to do in terms of the strategy and mission that you're bringing? Sure. Well, fit comes, there, there are probably three, three components of it. The first one is the cultural aspect of it and how well that individual is working within the, the local office that they're supporting, right? So that comes from 
you know, dialogue with their peers, with the, the people that they're supporting to make sure that that, that that element is there. The second one is around functional competency, right? What is the role that we really want them to be playing in the marketplace? And do they have the tools and are they executing with them effectively? And then the third element is around how well do they embrace the vision, right? Because uh, within the first couple of months, you have to get out there and really articulate a vision for where you are going with this organization to get people to come on board. And so you have to then take a look and say, all right, are they volunteering for projects? Are they getting involved in these cross-business cross unit or cross-functional initiatives that you're trying to put in place? Or are they just hunkering down and trying to wait this thing out um, and continue to behave the way they, the way they used to? So those are really the three things that I look at. Am I accurate in saying that you're you were trying to break down silos and and create kind of uh, cooperation? Well, absolutely. So again, there were there was a, there was a lot of silo mentality, and things were done in the UK one way, they were done in Singapore another way, they were done in parts of different business units within the US differently. But what became very clear to me was that there was a need to build a marketing infrastructure that could support all of these, think of them as individual contributors out in the marketplace. So things like a common and very user-friendly marketing automation platform, different processes for content development and, and approval. The other thing we put in place was greater influence and control over the way Salesforce.com was being implemented in the organization. And that was kind of an interesting challenge because I was a member of the steering committee for Salesforce and eventually ended up owning the implementation of it. So why is marketing owning Salesforce? Because if we weren't getting the right information into that system, we weren't going to be as effective using our marketing automation platform. So we took it on. And it was an interesting challenge because here you had people on a marketing team who said, wait a minute. I don't want to necessarily have to learn what these business development slash salespeople are supposed to be doing. So that was like another order of challenge that we took on. And again, some people really embraced it. Others fought it. And, you know, you go with the people who embrace these kinds of challenges and these kinds of initiatives and give them more opportunities for growth. So focusing on those early days, what support, if any, did you receive from around the company? And I could say support and or sort of pressure or influence as to what you were doing regarding your team. Right. Well, the, the, the business, the, the leadership of the organization fully supported me coming in. I mean, they were the ones who recruited me, brought me in and basically said, OK, look, here are the people that are performing these roles today. It's up to you to decide are, are they a good fit in the organization doing what they're doing right now, or are there other opportunities for them? So I took that as a mandate, went out into the, the different business units, interviewed the presidents of those business units or the managing directors, if you will. And for the most part, they were supportive of the change. They saw the need for greater support, more consistency, and more collaboration, and that we would be we would be a much better global marketing organization if we had that in place. There were a couple of people, however, who said, "You know what? I'm really happy with the work that this person is doing for me. Could you please just leave them alone and let them do what they're doing right now?" And you know, so you have to you have to work those relationships, and you have to again demonstrate to to those individuals that there's a benefit from what you're doing, right? 
And so it comes with these small wins of showing them ways that you can help grow their business more effectively than what's been done in the past. Makes sense. Now, was there a point when you said, okay, we need to start recruiting some new individuals for some, either get some new folks onto the team or perhaps expand the team overall? Very early in the process, I was able to identify this need for better marketing infrastructure. I've mentioned that a few times now. So I took a look at the existing team and we had one person who was based in Nashville and they were essentially the epicenter of our marketing automation platform because we were using one of the the older platforms that wasn't really user-friendly. Now, I had people in Hong Kong and Singapore and London who relied on this person who was sitting here in the central time zone in the United States. And, you know, they, they only had like one or two hours a day when they could interface with each other. So I took a look at that situation and I said we need first thing we need to do is bring someone in who really understands marketing automation and how it can be deployed more effectively on a global basis. So I started building the case for that role and the additional people that we needed in that department to support these other individuals. So take the person in Singapore who was trying to develop thought leadership programs, run lead generation handle events and speech writing, you name it, all the things that they were doing as a, a marketing leader in that, in that geography. And they were saddled with a, an automation platform that they, they really, really struggled using. So they welcomed having something that was more user-friendly and a group of people that they could go to and provide them with, with campaign briefs now that this team would then help them execute in their market. So they could focus on the relationship building, the content management that they know best because they're in that region, and be more effective overall as a contributor to the organization. Knowing that you were shoring up one of the central functions, that marketing automation system, and that you had a global team, did it matter to you where that new person sat? I was a little biased and I hired that team in New York, right, where I'm based. And simply because we needed to have really rapid innovation in that area and having having people set up all over the all over the world uh, just made it more difficult. So we created a center of excellence in New York that those people were able to tap into. But the best part of it was we we migrated to a different platform that was much more user-friendly so that the person in Singapore or Hong Kong didn't need to spend six or eight hours uh, putting together a simple drip campaign. Makes sense. Um, so looking at the recruiting process itself, so traditionally an executive would work with an HR colleague, perhaps as a team. Is, is that how you worked? And, and did you get support and collaboration from your HR department? Yes, I did work very closely with my HR department and received incredible support, uh, again, through a shared vision of what we were looking to do. And one of the things that I really impressed upon that team was that when it comes to sorting candidates, I'm very hands-on. I mean, I gave them some parameters, but I can, you know, I'll flip through resumes and it's 10 seconds and I get, I get a feel very early on, putting things into groups of into three separate groups, 
then sitting down with the HR person, walking them through my thought process on those initial screens, and then letting them run with, with more of the, the screening process on my behalf. I'm not a traditional thinker when it comes to identifying talent. Um, I look for the possibilities in people, and I often will find someone who may not have all of the, the attributes that you see in a position description, but what I'm looking for is what's the next role for them, and how are they going to be able to contribute in a more broader way than what's on a piece of paper or in, you know, in some digital document. Uh, because especially when you're hiring for growth, you need to be thinking about where you're going in the, in, in the very, very near future, not just what that immediate need looks like. Jeff, I'm sure anyone who's done recruiting uh, remembers being daunted by uh, you know that first round of resumes that comes in and you're thinking, oh man, I've got 25 I have to go through. Now you 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 said a second ago you could go through those very quickly. Uh, talk to yeah, twenty five, John. John, <laughs> two fifty. Okay, two fifty. Come on, you know there's an initial wave. It's you're right. The initial wave can be daunting. It can be one hundred and ten. It can be one hundred twenty, two twenty. It's a lot to look through. So what I look for, maybe hopefully this is where you're going. What I look for is a progression and a willingness to take on different challenges. That's helpful because, again, that initial screening can be one of the toughest parts of recruitment. This feeling that there's an enormous number of interested applicants. How do I accurately winnow it down? So you're, you're saying you look for progression, you look for someone who's taking on additional responsibility? I do look for those things, John, but I don't look for them in a uh, sort of a linear progression. I look for people who have been willing to take risks in their careers and people who have people who have taken on challenges that may not have actually fit the status quo of what you would expect in a natural progression of ticking boxes as you work your way up through a marketing organization. I was given opportunities like that early in my career. And I've always looked at it as being a hallmark of my leadership style is to provide people with the opportunities to do things that maybe they didn't even think were possible before and really challenge them to win. So Jeff, let's let's imagine that you've winnowed that pile down to a couple of uh, all-stars, uh, three, four, five maybe. Mm -hmm. What's your process then for assessing fit and getting from you know, a short list to a final candidate. Right. Again, I'm super hands-on and I will typically do, after, after HR has contacted them and made some initial contact, I'm really the first screen in a, in a lot of ways. And I will then put together a list of candidates that I want to bring in to meet with the other members of the team, whether those are the other members of the business leadership or other you know functional colleagues in in marketing and I will often prep I, I prep every individual for for those interviews I spend time with them talking with them about who they're going to meet what they're going to be interested in because what that does is it gives me a sort of a common framework that I can then use to assess those folks by by going back and, and speaking with the candidate again but then also speaking with the people who they interviewed with and making sure that, that there was consistency and some connectivity between what I had told the candidate going in 
and how they handled the interview with the internal stakeholders. That makes a lot of sense. Have you ever used testing? So thinking about the person that you hired for the marketing automation, I mean, would you ever say, look, I want to I want to actually test your hard skills? Um, you know, I have not done the hard skill testing. And maybe there are some situations where I should have, but I have used uh, some assessments for fit post hiring. And that sounds kind of unusual. I was actually hired by an organization about 20 years ago where I didn't even get to meet with the hiring manager until I had gone through an assessment that took like 90 minutes, which was a one-to-one interview with someone from this organization. So I, I felt that was a little a little unusual, but I, I was hired and I spent 10 years at that organization and learned a tremendous amount. But I think once you get somebody into the organization, using something like Strength Finders can be super helpful to really get people to work more effectively together. And so they understand what they lead with. What are the strengths that they lead with? Uh, they get to understand what my strengths are, right? I'm more of a maximizer than I am a uh, in a ranger. And so I'm always looking to get the most out of a situation. I need to surround myself with people who are really super effective at arranging things and doing checklists and and making sure that all the trains are running on time. Well, you've you've gotten right to my next question and that's uh, how do you optimize a team to function well as a whole? And and you started to answer that, but talk a little bit about that strength finder and how you might use an assessment like that. Sure, it's a Gallup tool. Uh, Gallup has been doing the you know using strength finders for twenty some years. It's all based on their history of having done tens of maybe hundreds of millions of interviews now, right? So it it has a basis on it's either thirty two or thirty fourth strengths that every individual has some element of in their in their makeup. But you tend to lead with five or ten of those when you're in a situation. So if you think of of healthcare workers, physical therapists, for example, have very high empathy. Marketing automation people, probably not so much, right? Uh, it's not that they don't possess it at all, but they tend to lead more with the with strategic thinking, with being able to arrange various concepts. And, and execute on those. You kind of see where I'm going? So the way the process works is everyone on the team uh, goes through the assessment. It takes 30 to 40 minutes. Um, you do it all online. And then you take a look at something that's called a team blend. And everybody's results are printed out in a matrix. And you can see where you have people that are really tightly aligned around various strengths. And one of the things that Gallup does is they they provide you with resources that you can use to determine, okay, if you have someone who's really super strong strategic thinker and someone else who is you know, very much a communication person, how do they work together? What's the best way to get them together? So then you, you facilitate a workshop, get everybody together, and we do it. I've done them all in, in person. I've also done them virtually recently. And you get people talking about it, and they, they see these different elements in each other after they've had a chance to work with one another for maybe a couple of months. And they go, oh, okay, I get it. Now I see why Melissa wants this from me in a certain way. It's because that's what makes their them more effective on the team. And it, it's, just, it's, it's really a, something that I've used for the last 20 years. Great advice. Now thinking about budget, 
you know, I, I sometimes joke that uh, I've been in situations where I had to play money ball. In other words, I had to, uh, I didn't have the budget maybe to recruit the people that I wanted. Uh, so I had to find ways of getting high functioning people who that maybe others would overlook. Now, was that a situation here or were you able to really compete for top candidates with the budget that you had? I would say both. I've definitely had to do both. And sometimes you just have to go in and say, you know what, we're not going to be able to fill this role at this price point, right? At this level. It's just not competitive in this market. And so you have to make the make the case. And the best way I do that is by um, showing people examples of the talent that they really want in the organization and say, you know what, this is what it's going to take to get them. That's really the best way to do it. Because if you and, and, and I, I'm not saying that I, I bring people in to, to interview that are not the right fit. It's like, I just go for it and say, here's what we need. This is what it's going to take. You know, there's always this dynamic between headcount and operating budget, right? And I, I've always looked at a number as being a big number. Now, we both know that uh, human resources organizations and finance don't look at it that way. So then what you have to do is you have to figure out, okay, maybe I'm not able to hire all the people that I'm looking for. So then you look at your operating budget and take a look at what kinds of uh, consulting people you can bring in within those numbers and take some things away from your short-term programming as a way of building up the human resources that you need. I've experienced situations where marketing teams were, not to say that they're on the cutting edge, but they're certainly having to adapt quickly to say digital technology. For me, that often meant that I was identifying roles that were hard to understand for the rest of the organization. So when I said, I need to hire someone to do SEO, uh, you know, an HR manager would look at me like, I don't even know what you're saying. Did you face any of that? And I could imagine, you know, marketing automation, what's that? But did you face any situations where you really had to educate the organization on, okay, these are the types of roles that I need and these are the types of people I'm looking for. Right, exactly. You, you, have, to build, you have to build the case and you have to uh, sometimes do it in a, in a paint-by-numbers type of format. One of the tools that I found to be very effective is creating a chart that demonstrates what a marketing technology stack actually looks like because Business leaders are used to looking at technology stacks and flows and processes. So creating a technology stack for your organization, the as is and the should be, um, can be super helpful. The other uh, tool that is really effective, and again, it's for those of us who live it and breathe it every single day, it sounds grossly oversimplified, but demonstrating what the marketing funnel looks like and where all the inputs are and what's required to actually quantify the effectiveness of your programs it, alongside that is how you build that case. And I, I mean, I walked in, like the, the current role that I'm in, we had, because it's a nonprofit, we had access to Google ad grants and they went by the wayside. And I looked, when I came in, I looked, I said, whatever happened to the, the Google ad grants? And somebody said to me, oh, well, we tried that and it didn't work. Well, okay, let's take a look at that. Let's unpack that and see what that looks like. So today, we're now probably 10 months going on a year into having reactivated the Google ad grants. We're maxing them out. And 
I'm able to demonstrate that the marketing funnel, the e-commerce results are more than offsetting the cost of the marketing agency that's helping me manage those grants, right? So, you know, you just, sometimes you have to, you have to build it. Sometimes you have to do it, you know, with a combination of resources, but I think putting it in, putting the, the results in the context that business leaders understand is what gets you support for things like SEO and SEM and everything else that's digital. Well said. Talk to us about grooming talent. So assume you've got the people that you've got, you know, everybody's in their seats. How do you optimize and maximize and develop the people in those roles? Everyone is in a unique developmental position. So it's getting to know them. What I do is I sit down with with everyone on my team a couple of times a year and talk about not only what are they doing in terms of the goals and objectives that we've set as a marketing team, but what are their individual development goals and objectives? So, for example, there's a person um, on my team who contributes exceptionally well to some of the product um, initiatives. So I sat down and I said, is this a role that you want? Would you like to move out of the marketing communications role that you're in today and get more of into a product management type of a position? In that particular case, the individual said, no, I'm happy doing what I'm doing right now, and I'm really pleased that I can contribute to the rest of the organization. In other situations, though, I have managed to bridge individuals into other departments, and it was really, really hard because I was giving up. In one case, I gave up the best person I had hired in that organization, but it was the right thing to do, not only for the organization, but for that person because they were able to go and contribute in much more significant ways and continue in their career into on a pathway that really they hadn't even seen before we started having those conversations. Now, I can't take complete credit for that. They still had to do the work. They had to, they had to accept the opportunity. But I think that's one of the really important ways um, of grooming people. I've also mentioned before the opportunity to give people chances to win in areas where maybe they didn't even think there was a role for them. And I hearken back to early in my career where I was in a marketing communications role and I was suddenly thrust into the position of doing board of directors presentations for the uh, senior leadership of the organization. And that was something that really had never even occurred to me. And it gave me the chance to see how the, the business functions at a much higher level. And so I've given other people on my teams opportunities very similar to that. Jeff, so the method of management that you just described in terms of grooming talent sounds like it would work well against the goal of retaining talent as well. Am I right about that? Oh, absolutely. Again, if you go back to that organization that I was describing earlier 10 years ago, we had a, a global initiative that you know produced a, think of it as an annual report. And historically that had been produced out of New York. So I went and tapped the person who was leading the marketing function in London. And I said, I think this would be a great opportunity for you to lead a big global project. And that person totally embraced the opportunity. And, and it, was a, it was a real win for the organization. 
Jeff, have you ever been in a situation where you, you get the knock on the door, in walks one of your reports, and they say, Jeff, I got to talk to you. I just got this offer from someone else, and they're offering me really good money. You ever been in that situation, and how do you handle that? Absolutely. It happens to all of us, right? And we've, we've all done it, too, I'm sure. I think the way to handle that is to do it with grace and put it into the context of these other conversations that you've been having with the individual. Because when you do that, there are always surprises, for sure. But if you're staying in touch with what the individual wants to do from a professional development standpoint, chances are you're not going to be completely surprised. So then it's a matter of figuring out a way to get as much knowledge out of that person about what they've been doing that maybe you don't know about. And in a couple of weeks, all of a sudden it's going to come as a huge surprise to you. Uh, but then support them in, in the journey. It's really difficult to say, oh, you, you, know, you reach into the budget and you throw another X amount of dollars at them because the statistics are pretty convincing that that lasts about six months. There's a reason. There's a reason why they're looking. It's either the culture of the organization isn't a fit. You probably knew that early on, and maybe those are non-regrettable exits. And then there's other situations where it's just like, okay, uh, you've, we've been talking about this. You want to move into a product area. Is this really what you're looking for? If, if, if it is, if it's a great fit for what they've told you they want to do, it's you've done your job then as a leader and as a, you know, as a mentor for your team. And you should be celebrating that with them and then use it as use the opening as an opportunity to think differently about what's going on in your team and what you what you need in terms of a skill set that may help you get to where you're trying to go faster. A, a gracious and a wise approach. Jeff, thinking about the teams that you've built over the years, describe what a Jeff Ignashik team looks like? What are, what are some of the attributes that you see in people that succeed on your teams or that you look for to add to your teams? Mm -hmm. Well, the teams, my teams have been very diverse. Um, they're in terms of, you know, composition and thought. And the one thing that I really encourage is people to challenge my thinking and to tell me when they think there's something that needs to be done differently, right? So there's this, there's this real collegiality uh, within, within the group. And you know, I try to encourage them to do better and they're constantly challenging me to be a better mentor and a better, and a better manager in an organization. So I think that's probably the thing that would sum it up is that I give them the opportunities to do what they do best every day. And in turn, they, they bring that out in me. And that's, that's an amazing dynamic. Jeff, any last advice that you'd give to a new CMO in terms of uh, recruitment retention areas? When I think about recruiting talent in a new organization, I think about three different types of individuals, right? You have the, the subject matter expert, someone who's from within the industry that you've just entered, and you may not be the subject matter expert. You are the generalist. You're the you're the, the visionary, the leader. So sometimes you need to surround yourself with a couple of subject matter experts in the domain. The second type of person is the individual with deep functional expertise within one of the silos of marketing. 
And so in a couple of instances, I've had to bring in people that have had more experience in the, uh, the marketing automation function than, than I have and or anyone else on the existing team. And then the third type of person is the generalist, right? The individual who can wear multiple hats, who's just is, who is at ease taking media calls as they are building out product campaigns and writing content for uh, videos and, and, and social media. So you have to really figure out what that right mix is depending on where you are, where the, what, what type of industry you're in, and the, and the composition of the rest of the team. Wise words. Jeff, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate having you on the show. John, thank you very much. I've really appreciated the opportunity. It's given me a chance to think about some of the things that I've done in my career and what I need to be thinking about doing going forward too. So appreciate the opportunity. B2B Marketing Brief is produced by Beacon Digital Marketing. John Walker is your host, and I'm your co-host, Samantha Spoto. We'll see you next time.